So our chat yesterday about Austria offering people free public transport if they get a tattoo of the country's national transport card garnered quite a bit of response. Yeah, out of interest, did McDonald's get in touch with you? Oh, not yet. I haven't checked my spam folder yet. <laughs> um, yeah, it, was a, it was a delightful talking point, that one, and we put the call out on Insta, didn't we, asking if there was anything that you would consider getting a tattoo of if it meant that you got free stuff, and some people did indeed respond to the call, Mo. Steph was with me on the hashies. Thank you, Steph. Good on you, Steph. Yeah. Todd said he once met someone who had a Raglan coconut yoghurt logo, and they got a year's supply in exchange for that. That's pretty good. I note that we diverge on pronunciation of Y-O-G-H-U-R-T, by the way. What do you say? I said yoghurt and you said yoghurt. Yeah, Welsh mum. Welsh mum. Nice. <laughs> like that. And uh, Tyson also got in touch. Tyson says uh, they were on the cusp of getting a UK breweries logo tattooed on him uh, because it would have meant that he would have gotten 20% off their wares. For life, mm. I think, in Tyson's case. I mean, if you could get that in an inconspicuous place, definitely something to consider. Anyway, kia ora, this is News of All, I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Nearly 600 cars were stolen in Christchurch last month alone. So what's behind this sudden surge of thefts? Well, it seems social media is partly to blame. Local Government Minister Kieran McAnulty is joining us to explain why councils put limits on animals and why you can't own a pig in the CBD. India recently landed on the moon and like just about every expedition, it left a whole bunch of stuff up there. We explain why that's got scientists very worried. And plus, do you think the bus driver? We've got the results from a bus driver survey in the UK which might surprise you. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Christchurch is suffering an unwanted crime surge, specifically in car thefts. Last month, nearly 600 cars were stolen in the city. Those numbers never before seen by police who've been in the job for decades. Even worse, this might not be a blip, but a sign of more to come. And worryingly, the trend appears to be fuelled by young offenders and social media. Stuff's Blair Ince has been investigating what's going on and joins us now. Welcome back to the pod, Blair. Hey, guys. Blair, how has this got so bad? Look, uh, I, I think it's a very complex issue, but speaking to um, officials within the justice sector, they point back towards COVID and how a number of youths became really kind of disconnected from their friends and isolated. They weren't going to school. They weren't able to go to, you know, join sports teams or do Saturday sport. And so they turned to social media. And as restrictions have lifted as a result of COVID, some of those children haven't gone back to school and have just continued to engage with other disengaged kids and it's kind of spiralled out of control. And so this is kind of a, you know, filling a, a gap that they haven't got, like it's become a hobby. Leah, tell us about some of the most mind-boggling uh, specific stories that you came across because some of these cases are just crazy, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, look, I was watching a video of a teenager, they may be 12 or 13, I mean, that's the age of the some of the kids that are involved in this, but they were behind the wheel of a car after hours driving through the Hornby Hub, which is a mall here in Christchurch, and then just kind of smashing their way at the door on one side. Obviously, police are hugely concerned around whether people are going to be killed as a result of this, and, mm. and particularly innocent members of the public, because these 
kids are driving at ludicrous speeds, like 150 kilometres an hour plus in 50 kilometre hour areas. When they're fleeing police, they're ramming police cars, they're driving on sidewalks. And um, the area commander brought to my attention that a case of an eight-year-old boy who was behind the, the wheel recently of a car that crashed uh, and nearly killed some others. And is social media always a factor in these as well? Like I've, I've been following the issue pretty closely and digging around online and they are really regularly taking mm. certain types of videos and then sharing them back onto social media. They've got like their own language like flossing is uh, when they run from police, or I think that's when they evade police. Um, scooping is when you know people are asking to be picked up, and um, whips. Are the, that's what they call stolen cars. Mm. And so, yeah, a lot of it is is being driven by kind of the positive reinforcement they're getting from their peers on social media, who are encouraging to do more and more of this. Blair, this must be a tremendous risk to the public and to these kids themselves, of course. And one of the issues here is that a lot of these children, are, are, that they are children and that they, they can't be dealt with via the youth justice system. Mm. They're referred back to Oranga Tamariki when they're picked up by police and then often they're just returned home, right? Mm. Only in the very rare and extremely serious cases are these children put into care and protection facilities. Rachel Hohaya, who's the regional youth justice manager for the South Island, she says there's no evidence to suggest any kind of positive outcomes that come from putting these kids into facilities. Mm. Where do we go from here, Blair? Well, last year there was a pilot trial in Auckland called Fast Track, mm. uh, and that's been expanded to other parts of the country, including Christchurch. And what's happening is that police are referring uh, some of these uh, persistent and repeat offenders to the program, and they go out and see the family, try to find out what's going on, and then they wrap support around these these kids they put them into various kind of programs, whether that be kind of sporting things, they get in mentors to talk to them and also try to get them back into schooling. They're trying to instill in these kids some pro-social behaviour so that they kind of form a connection back to their communities and, and, and hopefully set them back on the right path. Blair Ansel, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We're about to chat rules and regulations on how many animals you can have on your property and why quails, of all creatures, are the hottest topic in this space. But if you're enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us as well. Great news for quail enthusiasts in the capital. The council is raising the limit on the number you can have on your property from eight to 12. Oh, I think over there. I was worried about this. I'm sure quail keepers are celebrating Wellington-wide, but of course other Wellington animal owners might find a reason or two to celebrate because the council is updating its entire animal rules and regulations. As you might imagine, we could not get past the fact that quails are having a moment in the sun here, and we wanted to know more about why and how rules like this are made. So joining us now to chat is Local Government Minister Kieran McAnulty. Kia ora, welcome to Newsville. Kia ora, how are you? Very well, thanks. Let's begin this interrogation. Um, <laughs> please explain to me why I, in the urban metropolis of Auckland, uh, can have six or 12 female ducks in my backyard, depending on pen size, but poor old Imogen in Wellington can only have eight. <laughs> yeah, well, you learn something every day, don't you? Because this is something that I'm also learning as we go. I, I can't say, as either a local MP or as Minister for Local Government, I've had too many letters about the number of quails that people may be able to hold. Uh, but here we are. I, it's one of those things that uh, councils are able to determine for themselves and for their communities. 
So the legislation requires councils to consider this five years after it comes in and then every 10 years after that. So councils go through this process. They get feedback from their local communities to find out what's important to them and then they uh, implement that. And over time, you will get different rules and different territorial authorities and that's how you end up with different quotas for quails or ducks or whatever you want. <laughs> and why are rules like this set in place? Is it about animal welfare? Is it about noise and neighbours? Is it about public safety? Or is it about all three of those things? Issues around this uh, and Masterton will be different to the hut, different to Wellington and again to Porirua. Each community should be able to determine these things. We know that people like to have pets and that should be allowed. But in certain circumstances, in certain communities, there might be a justifiable reason to have certain limits on those. Well, I live in Avondale and I can't imagine my neighbours would be especially happy if I had a cow in my backyard, whereas obviously in Wairarapa that would be a a different matter. Yeah, potentially, but also neighbours might not be happy that you've got half a dozen ducks as well. I guess it comes down to each particular community and what's important to them. But it also, I think, emphasises the importance for people, not just ratepayers, but everyone that lives within a council boundary, to participate in these consultation processes so that their voices are heard. So councillors might think that they are following the view of the community by increasing the number of quails. There could be, theoretically, a massive backlash once this comes out, but the councillors are only going by the feedback they receive. Final question, Minister. How many animals do you have in your backyard and have you declared them all? I have a solitary greyhound, and she doesn't spend too much time in the backyard. She either comes to work with me and chills out on the floor or sleeps in front of the fire at home. No quails? Not yet. Kieran McAdulty, Local Government Minister, thank you very much for your time today. Very enlightening stuff there. No worries. Cheers. We're going to be chatting bus etiquette in a second. So in the spirit of that, tell us, do you thank the bus driver when you're getting off at your stop? Do you say hello when you're getting on? We're on TikTok and Instagram. Search Newsable NZ. Get in touch. Remember, you can send us an email as well. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. And I am going to ask you now to take a trip down memory lane, mm-hmm. back to the very early days of News of All, mm-hmm. the first Friday when it rolled around, the inaugural Fun Fact Friday. Uh, are you there in your mind's eye? I am there. Do you remember what my victorious fact was that day? That there was Poe on the moon. Yes. It's also seared into your mind, I see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I'm thrilled to say that that fun fact actually has relevance today. Because uh, right now we are about to talk about... Poe on the Moon. 
Well, yeah, actually, in a matter of speaking. <laughs> uh, yes, poo on the moon and space debris more broadly. So, like, the impetus for this, we talked uh, quite a bit recently about India's trip to the moon, yeah? Yeah, India recently became the fourth ever country to make a soft landing on the moon's surface. Pretty amazing achievement. Yeah, really, really amazing achievement. But there is a flip side to this, and that is all the junk that is left behind when expeditions like this actually happen. So according to data from NASA, we've left more than three tonnes of junk on the moon, from crash-landed probes that we just decided not to bring back, to golf balls, boots, tools, and yes, some 96 bags of urine, faeces, and vomit. And that is not to mention the thousands of disused satellites that are up in outer space orbiting the Earth right at this very moment, doing nothing. All of this stuff is left on the moon because we want to bring things back back from the moon when we do expeditions up there. And rocket ship loads are very precise. It's like checking in your checked-in luggage at the airport. There isn't much spare capacity. So if you want to bring two kilos worth of moon rocks back, you got to get rid of two kilos of something that was on board. And bringing all the stuff back would be hugely expensive. Hundreds of millions, maybe into the billions of dollars. But scientists are actually getting really worried about this because the moon's surface is kind of pristine and it has been for, you know, billions of years. And because it's been untouched by humans, it can teach us quite a lot about the solar system and how it operates in isolation. It's kind of like this big rock time capsule. But as we launch more expeditions up there, there are fears that we are going to uh, disturb this delicate balance, I suppose. And as space launches become more viable for smaller businesses, there are also fears people try to exploit the moon for resources. There are possibly reservoirs of frozen water, and there could also be an abundance of rare earth minerals up there as well. This is kind of reminiscent in a way of uh, the ocean, you know, this place that is so vast that our attitude to it is a bit laissez-faire. It's kind of like, well, you know, nothing we do is going to make a big dent here. Don't worry about it. But obviously, we see how that's turned out with the ocean. Uh, and I think it's fair to say, you know, it would be bad if we were to make the same mistakes with the moon. There are ongoing efforts to regulate the junk that's being left behind on the moon, but they're in the very early phases. Hopefully everyone can get sensible, sit down, nut something out, because while poo on the moon is one of my favourite phrases and is great for a fun fact Friday... It cannot be good for astronauts' visors. Imagine if you got knocked out. Imagine getting knocked out by a bag of crystallized... By poo on the moon. Poo on the moon. What Cause a of death. Go. Poo on the moon. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think that, it would be a resignation offence. If I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing up in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Lovely BBC headline that caught my eye. You have my attention. Bus drivers happier if passengers say hello. Oh, I know. It's lovely. I wasn't expecting that. It's warmed the cockles of my icy cold heart. Obviously clicked on it. So this article was written off a survey done by the University of Sussex, which found 77 drivers, didn't say how many took part in total, mind, uh, said that a greeting from a passenger was meaningful to them, which is very sweet, also makes sense. But 
get this. Part of the survey was seeing whether or not people do actually thank or greet the bus driver, of course. So they monitored buses. They slapped some stickers encouraging people to greet the bus driver on some buses, and then on other buses they left unstickered. Mm-hmm. Only two out of ten on the non-stickered buses greeted the driver. Oh. Wait. Then only three out of ten greeted the bus driver if there was a sticker on the bus. This is maybe the biggest difference between the UK and New Zealand right here. When I was reading the article, I was like, two out of ten, that's bad. Three out of ten is the best result? When you're being prompted. I say hello and goodbye. Yeah. I say hello and thank you. Yeah. Probably have a good day as well. Look, bear in mind, I don't really catch the bus that often, but when I do. I find this a distinctly New Zealand thing though, right? Because like most of the other countries that I have taken buses in, come on, come off. Mm. You don't they don't interact with the driver, they don't say thank you. Mm. This is particularly the case in the States. It seems like it's like the height of rudeness. It seems so rude. I think I think New Zealand's weird in this in this area yeah. as opposed to the rest of the world, but I would also want the rest of the world to be more like us, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It might not be a case that they're unfriendly. I think we're just overly friendly. Yeah. But of course, we want to know if you greet the bus driver, do you thank them, do you say hello, get in touch on Instagram, we're at NewsableNZ, or you can email us, newsable at staff.co.nz if you've got any great yarns about the times you were overseas and you did or didn't thank a bus driver or someone else didn't, basically just get in touch. You know we love to hear from you. On that note, that's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Yeah. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.